for you to drop dead so I could have your money, and it hasn't happened soon enough. So finally, my hatred is built up to the point that I am going to come and ask you for the inheritance that you are going to give me after you're supposed, supposed to die. Can you imagine the hurt that this would have caused the father? I can't even begin to imagine. And see, here's what Jesus is trying to illustrate in this story is that that our sin does the same thing with our relationship with God. It breaks God's heart. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God isn't happy about the fact that we sin. He's bummed about it. He's sad about it. He's, 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 he's in anguish about it. In fact, he was in so much anguish about it that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us to pay the penalty for that sin. When we sin, we have separated ourselves from God, but the gospel tells us, the good news tells us that there is a way out, right? We know the end of the story, and the son has the ability to come back, and that's the important part. You see, the son chose to become an orphan, just like all of us in this place when we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it is on us. We have chose to become orphans. But all of us have the ability to come back. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. God didn't have to do that. The Father didn't have to do that. In fact, every single person in here, if we were giving, you know, wise counsel to the Father, we probably would have said, no, 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 this is stupid. The Son has burnt you, man. Like, he is... He, is, he has done this bad thing. He's, you should not bring him back. And while he was still a long way off, he saw him and ran to him. See, the father is waiting for you to step out of your identity as an orphan. He's made a way for you already to come back to him. He has paved the way. He has built the road. All you need to do is make a decision to say, to come to your senses and to say, what am I doing right now? I have identity and inheritance with my dad, and I could just go back. But see, we stay stuck as orphans for a couple different reasons sometimes in our lives. One of those reasons is because we view God in a way that is not truthful to God. We talked about that last week. Sometimes we stay stuck as orphans because we have a hard time understanding who God is because we hear this talk about God the Father and, and being a child or a, or a son or daughter of God, and that doesn't make sense to me because, because I grew up in a terrible, you might be saying, I grew up in a terrible family, and my dad is not a good person, so I have a hard time reconciling this, this, this desire to actually want to be a child, to actually want to be a son or want to be a daughter because being a son and daughter was not a good experience for you. Well, that's why the Bible promises and has promises about the fact that God sets the lonely into families and becomes a father to the fatherless and calls us to be sons and daughters of him, a perfect and good, good father. We sing it tonight over and over again. You are good. You are good. You are good. And if we believe that about God, we will start to understand that being an orphan doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be feeding the pigs when we have an inheritance waiting for us back home and a father who is waiting on a hill with open arms outstretched just waiting for us to come home. And that's the good news of the gospel. And if that doesn't get you pumped up, I don't know what does because it's the best news in the entire universe. We got three woohoos. All right. 
Thanks, Kate. Appreciate that. Some of you, I believe God is calling to make a decision tonight to say, I'm going to step out of that. I'm going to step out of being an orphan, and I'm going to step into my true identity as a son or daughter of God. I believe that. Because the longer we stay orphans, the easier it is to slip into the second identity, and that is the identity of the spiritual slave. See, the young man chose to be an orphan and then quickly became enslaved to the passions of this world. He tried to fill his life with something else, and that quickly enslaved him to the point of chewing him up and spitting him out and leaving him and rendering him totally and completely without anything. Some of you in here have become a slave to the choices that you have made in your past, and God wants to set you free from those things. In fact, some of you in this place think that there's absolutely no way you could ever be set free from the choices of your past. I got news for you. Yes, you can be. I can't, I'm not going to claim to tell you that the results of those sins are going to change, but what I can promise you is that the spiritual aspects of your life, the identity aspects of your life ha- can change tonight if you make a decision to accept Jesus and to say, I don't want to be a slave to this anymore. For some of you in this place, there have been things that have happened to you that are outside of your control, that you have felt enslaved to. There have been people in your life that have hurt you so badly and so deeply that every single time you think about it, every single time that comes up in your life, you get angry, you get bitter, and that hurt comes back, and the devil whispers lies in your ear, saying you can't trust anybody, you you can't get close to anybody. And if that's you tonight, God wants to release you and set you free from that bondage that you've been living in. You see, we stay stuck as spiritual slaves sometimes because of a worldview problem. We think that the world has what we're looking for. And so we go look into the world. And every single person who looks to the world, every single person who looks to this earth to fulfill their desires will always come back and tell you that they're left empty. The other, reason, the other reason that we stay stuck as slaves is because of a self-view problem. We think no one would ever want me now. And we get caught in what I call the shame cycle. Now, I, am a, I, I uh, studied biology in college, all right? Uh, so I'm a nerd. I'll just be honest with you, all right? I like diagrams and, uh, and sequential things, all right? I, you know? Scientific method, hey. Uh, so, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at a diagram tonight, and I think this is gonna make a little bit of sense to you. Okay. See, some of you have, have have come into this place with a lot of shame in your life, and this is what happens. Can you put that first picture, of that diagram up. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Uh, all right. So something happens in your life. Either you do something, or something is done to you. An action is occurs in your life. Either someone sins terribly against you or something you have done in your life that you, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, this seemed like a really good idea at the time. This seemed like this was going to fulfill my desires at the time. All right? And any teenage boy in here knows what I'm talking about, all right? Just like, yeah, I thought it was going to be a good idea to ride my bike off that cliff, right? But that's not exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the sin issues in our lives, the hurt, the regret, the pain, whatever it is. Okay? So this thing happens in our lives. 
And the devil whispers in our ears and says, hey, this is a really great idea. You should do this. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to take away the pain. It's going to take away the hurt. It's going to take away that emptiness. It's going to give you fulfillment. And then as soon as you act upon that, he backs off and he fills you full of shame. He says, I can't believe you just did that. Right? This is like textbook devil stuff, all right? So uh, go, go on to the next diagram, please. So he heaps the shame on you. He says, I can't believe you just did that. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that person just did that to you. I can't, oh, yeah, that young man that made all those promises to you and whispered all those sweet nothings into your ear, and I told you to go for it, and you fell for it. You fool. I can't believe you did that. You know why you fell for that? And then the next thing happens. He tries to attach that action and shame to your identity. He says, you know why you fell for that? Because that's just who you are. You can move on to the next diagram. That's just who you are. And you know why? You know what? The people that have that happen to them, you know what they do? They do it all over again. So, for example, right? You say, oh, man, I promised God that I was never, ever going to drink again, and I drink. And all of a sudden, I, I got involved in this substance. I got involved in whatever. And the, the devil says, this is a great idea. And then as soon as you do it, you say, oh, you stupid idiot. You shouldn't have ever done that. But then you know what he says? He says, you know why you drink? It's because you're an alcoholic. You know why you're an alcoholic? Because your dad is an alcoholic. You're always going to be an alcoholic. And you know what alcoholics do? Alcoholics drink. And so then you drink. And then he heaps on the shame, and he attaches it to your identity again. And I got good news for you tonight. There's a way out of the shame cycle, and it's called the grace of God. It's called the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the newness of your identity of becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ who gave you the ability to become new in your identity, not that of a sinner, not that of a slave, not that of an orphan, but that of a child of God. You can move on to the next diagram. Grace is the way out. After that action, you say, you know what? Yeah, I screwed up, but guess what? God's forgiveness is bigger than that action. I'm going to extend and receive his forgiveness, receive the new identity. You can keep going. And, uh, and then eventually lead to a new action and forward movement. Shame is dangerous because it tries to identify us through its perception of us. And if you're here tonight and you think, I will just always be this way, I will just always carry around this hurt, I will just always carry around this pain, those things that I've done or those things that have happened to me are just going to always repeat themselves. I can never trust anybody again. I can never get close to anybody again. I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to heal you, give you a new identity, and set you free from the bondage of the slavery of your sin. Making sense? A little bit too much sense. For some of you in here, you're like, oh, shoot. This explains the last 12 years of my life. <laughs> Guys, the devil is crafty, but he doesn't change his tricks. This is how he operates. And he convinces us says, just stay with the pigs. Stay feeding the pigs. 
it's okay. It's just who you are. But something happened to the son, and he came to his senses when he realized that there was a way out. And something really interesting happens. The son wanted to return as a slave, right? He said, I'm just going to go back to my father with my tail between my legs, and I'm just going to kind of walk up there, and I'm just going to be like, you know what? I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like that of one of your hired servants. What does that tell me? This guy had been in the shame cycle for a long time, and the devil convinced him that he was not worthy of anything except for those pig pods. And finally, he came to his senses, and he crawled up to his, he's going to crawl up to his dad, but while he was still a long way off, what does that tell you? That the father never stopped looking for him. I mean, every single day, the father would go out to the hill, and he would look around every single top of every single hill, hoping for the day that his son was going to return, because that one day, he looked beyond the horizon, and up over the hill came this son. And he didn't go up to him and smack him and beat him and say, you stupid idiot, I can't believe you wasted half of my life's work. He said, no, 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 come here. I am going to put the robe on you and I'm going to put a ring on your finger and you are going to become my child. He cuts him off in the middle of his sentence, in the middle of his, of his plea to bring him back. He says, forget about it. What's important is that you are here and you finally have come to your senses to return to your true identity and I'm going to take you back, and I'm going to make you royalty again. Now, something really interesting happens in this story. Again, cultural. I'm kind of a nerd. I like this stuff, so I'm going to explain this to you. Something happens. He, he puts a ring on his son's finger. Now, that ring is actually really significant. It's not just like, yo, now that you're my son, you're looking good. Here's some bling. All right? That's not what he was doing. All right? What was happening is he... That ring that he gave him was what they call a signet ring. A signet ring was a ring that had a marking on it. It had like a, a brand, if you will. It was a mark that was specific to the father. And what you would do is you would dip that ring in ink or you would dip it in hot wax and you would press it onto documents and it was a way of being able to sign your name. So in other words... The father doesn't just welcome him back and say, yeah, you can come hang out with me. The father says, you are going to come back with me, and I'm going to give you authority to do business in my name. In other words, you're not just back, but you are back as a member of the family. You are, a, you are returned as a co-heir of my entire inheritance, and I trust you enough to be able to give you the ability to do business in my name. My friends, you got to understand that this is what Jesus did for us. Is he said, I'm going to make you a co-heir with me. Even though your sin separated you from me, I am going to go to this earth. I'm going to become sin who knew no sin and I'm going to die in your place so that you can be a co-heir with me. I don't understand that love. I can't comprehend that love, but you better believe that I am thankful for that love. It makes me joyful beyond comprehension. And when we start to realize this, we start to understand that our lives are not about 
how bad we are. It's about how redeemed we are. Our lives are not about how much we can do for God, but it's about how much God did for us. You got to understand that because stop trying to put yourself together, make yourself pretty before you come to Jesus. Man, that guy, the sun stunk like pigs. It doesn't say that he bathes before he, ah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get a bath and go to the barber and get a manicure and a nice pedicure, and then I'm going to go back to my dad. No, 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 no. He didn't have money for anything like that. Man, he stunk like poo. And the father put his arms around him, and he kissed him, and he put expensive clothes on him. It's pretty rad. Think about that. I don't know where you're at tonight, but you got to understand that you've not fallen too far for God. So if the devil is convincing you that you are too far down the shame cycle to extend and get out via grace, it is a lie from the pit of hell, and you need to tell the enemy to just shut up. Because God wants you to know that there is rejoicing and freedom. When you understand God this way, do you understand why Christianity goes from being religion to being rejoicing. It goes from being oppression to being absolute freedom. It goes from thinking, saying that, oh, I'm just going to admit defeat and throw in the towel to saying, no, 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 I get to claim victory in Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. And the worship team can come back up as we close. I want to close with story of my friend, Mr. Tate. Tate's right there. Hey, wow, look at that. He's playing guitar tonight. Tate, I'm going to tell your story while you're up there. Yeah, I got this with his permission. Don't worry. He wrote this himself. Tate says this, is that I used to be defined, or I used to define myself by my pain. I was bullied a lot when I was in middle school, and that caused the pain that was in my life. It caused me to hate myself and it caused me to slip into a deep depression. It caused me to be ashamed of who I was and not let anyone close because of my hatred and distrust for people. This all just sort of fed off each other until I met Jesus my freshman year of college. And I started to realize how he sees me and realize who I am in him. And now I am striving to live as that new creation. I'm free. Come on, people. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Because following Jesus is not about me telling you how to live your life. It's about you understanding who you are in Jesus Christ. And I need you to understand this. Because when you understand this, all of a sudden a whole new world of freedom is opened up to you. You are literally grabbed from the pit and you are put on solid ground spiritually. You go from being an orphan to a child. You go from being slave to being free. There's nothing greater than that. And yet we settle. We settle in our lives for where we're at. We just think, oh, well, forget about it. I'm just an orphan. That's who I'm going to be. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, 
but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like ignorant, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do not settle. Do not settle tonight for an identity as an orphan. Do not settle tonight for an identity of a slave because God wants to make you a child. You close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to give us a chance to respond to this tonight. If you are here and you realize that you have been living a life as an orphan, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but tonight you would like to start one, or maybe you had one in the past and you allowed it to grow cold, but tonight you say, I don't want to be an orphan any longer. I want to be a child of God and accept the forgiveness of my sin that Jesus made available to me through dying on the cross. Just raise a hand in this place. Yeah. Put them up, please. Just keep them up. I want to see who that's for. Okay. Anybody else? All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to all pray this prayer together. And I'm going to have every single person in the room pray this after me. But if you raise your hand to that question, I want you to pray this prayer and meet it in your heart. And then after this, I want you to find someone in the back of the room to tell about what you just did and pray with as we close here, okay? So here was, here's what we're going to do. Let's all repeat this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize that my sin has separated me from you. But tonight, I am accepting your forgiveness that you made available to me through dying for me on the cross. I am asking for strength to live and operate in my new identity. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give those people a round of applause? That's awesome. That's a big deal. We want you to understand that. That's a big deal. To make that decision is the biggest deal, that is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. And I really sense in here that, there, that there's an urgency, that there's an urgency tonight for you to not just have this be, oh, I raise my hand and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fade away. There's an urgency in here tonight to have you tell someone about that. Or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you feel like I should have raised my hand. There's an urgency for you to respond to this tonight. We're going to have people available to pray with you in the back as we close in worship. And I want to meet you. Aaron wants to meet you. Our prayer team wants to meet you in the back. So don't go from this place without receiving prayer. But my second question is this. That if you're here tonight and you realize that you have been living a life as a slave. And if we could bow our heads and close our eyes one more time. You've been living a life in addiction. Maybe it's a substance or some sort of sexual addiction. You've been living your life in shame or hurt. And you've been slaved. You said, yeah, I'm in the shame cycle and I need to get out of it. I don't know where you're at tonight. But you say, God, I need a taste of your freedom. I don't want to be identified by my past anymore. Just raise a hand in this place. Say, I'm accepting you. I'm accepting what you, what you have for me. Yeah, hands going up all over the place. My hand's up with you, all right? Just today, I said, yeah, I don't have to be defined by the things that I screwed up on today. 
I need to remind myself of that every single day. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to kind of go into a time of just allowing the Lord to, to, to speak to us and for us to worship. But now I, I want everybody to look at me for this part. Here's the deal. Is that there was an action required of the Son, and that action was to move, right? Now, I'm not saying that there's anything, like, super spiritual about going to the back of the room to receive prayer. But I will tell you this, that when we physically move as a way of showing God that we are mean business, I believe he shows up spiritually. When we meet, why else would God ask people to kneel in his presence? Why else would God have people raise their hands in worship in the Bible? Why else? Well, because something happens when we say, you know what? I'm going to get actually serious about this tonight. I'm going to move myself out of that position as an orphan. I'm going to move myself out of that position of a slave. And I'm going to move myself into the child of God. Come and get prayer. What's it going to hurt? What do you got to lose tonight? Someone's going to just lay a hand on you, pray for you. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. So, uh we love you guys. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to open up the back of the room to receive for, for you guys to receive prayer, and we're going, to, we're going to close in some worship. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come and hear about our identities in you, and I just pray that for those who are dealing with addiction or shame or hurt, would they just understand their identity in you, and would that identity give them freedom? Would it give them rejoicing? And God, would you... Also, Father, would you allow them to claim the victory that is made available through you, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please come.